We are in Philemon. Like there are times, guys, when I can pronounce it in the original language, but you would say to me, what is he talking about? So I'm opting for Philemon today. Um, it is right before Hebrews, right before Hebrews. We're going to start in verse 17. Oh, okay, okay. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Not yet, all right. Right before Hebrews, right after Titus, um, it's before Revelation, it's after Exodus. <laughs> that did not help anybody here. You're like, ah, I hate this guy. All right, amen, we got an amen here. Here we go, verse 17. Uh, by the way, like, I mean, I've read this a whole bunch, so it's landed on my heart already. These are really powerful words. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Who's the him? Onesimus. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So, so, so look, this is the deal. Paul's like, hey, listen, I, he owes you. Um, I'll, I'll handle it, all right? And if he's wronged you, which he has, charge that to me. And by the way, I led you to Jesus, so you better do what I say. I mean, <laughs> kind of, all right? Not manipulative, but he's just setting the, the framework for what should be uh, Philemon's expression of grace. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. That was a big deal because some people believe that Paul at this point in time uh, couldn't write his own letters for various health reasons. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say, oh, I read that already. <laughs> to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. That's a, that is a, an expression of hope since Paul was under house arrest. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All God's... Amen. Amen. All right, there we have it. Father, we love you, God. We're so thankful for your word today as we wrap up this little hashtag from heaven. God, I know you have something for us, and the something you have for us is never going to be something that the world encourages us to do. And so, Father, help us to hear from your Holy Spirit today. God, may your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, God, may it divide. God, may it pierce and speak to us and bring the transformation that our lives need in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. Hey, by the way, I just want to remind you, after the service today is our Sunday social, so all the food is set up. Make sure you come out and hang with us. And not only that, but our women's Christmas event is right around the corner. We're really, really excited about that. Um, yeah, ladies, 
Ladies, make sure you're signed up. You can hit that QR code right there. Um, and fellas, I just want to encourage you, sign up your daughters, sign up your wives. Make sure you make the space for them to go. It's going to be an awesome women's Christmas event this year. Um, I was, this last week, I was watching some TED Talks on the influence of smartphones in our culture. Um, and you know, I heard, I heard the stuff that I'm used to hearing. I've, I heard about how um, excessive use of smartphones leads to a decrease in relational engagement, something that obviously we know the more we're on our phones, the more disconnected we are from one another. Um, and then of course, uh, I heard that in connection with that, simultaneously, while there's a decrease in relational connection, um, there is an increase in mental health struggles, particularly uh, in the millennials and in Gen Z. Information uh, I'm sure that you're familiar with. I did learn as I was um, researching the influence of smartphones in our culture that there is a new public health crisis that, um, that people in this field are concerned about. Um, and the public health crisis is this, selfies have become the most common cause of injury or death in our country. Can you believe that? I know, yeah, that's right. And, um, and so the next time you take a selfie, I'm just saying, like it could cost you your life, like, like literally. So, so be, caref be careful when you take the selfie. Um, that was a new one for me. But the thing that really stuck out to me as I was doing my research was this idea that the use of smartphones has redefined how we conceptualize sharing. It's redefined sharing for us as a society, because when we talk about sharing today, more often than not, we're talking about the transfer of digital content. We're talking about sharing pictures or posts or viral videos, reels and stories. Sometimes sharing for us um, involves collaboration, but as all of this really has like leaned into the digital world, it has untethered us from the human touch. It has untethered us from the human touch. Um, social media and the excessive use of smartphones has enabled us to not only project our own personal narrative, but to create it, to build it. Um, and when I say personal narrative, I'm talking about our story. We are the first generation, and this isn't just for young people, it's for, for those of us who are older as well, um, but we are the first generation that has had the capacity to build or create our own image. Um, whether what we're presenting is true or not, the concern that I have, like lots of concerns connected with that, but one for sure is this. While we busily build our own narrative, we have little time and a decreasing interest to help build the narratives of others. You, know, you don't have to clap at that, but you know what I'm talking about? Like we're so inward focused, we're so consumed uh, on our smartphones and building and creating our own story that, listen, the natural byproduct of that is that we have less time and we have a decreasing interest, sometimes because we're so untethered, other times because in that world, especially on social media, now we're in competition with others, we have a decreasing interest to help build the stories of other people. This is why, like when I was reading this um, epistle initially uh, for our time together on Sunday morning, this is why what Paul does in these verses, in his life, in the lives of other people, seems 
to me to stand out so starkly. I mean, when you read these verses, and, and maybe they didn't fall on your heart like they have fallen on my heart, but what Paul does here is it's crazy. And it's crazy because it is so countercultural for us. Paul seems to be oddly occupied with championing other people. Paul seems to be oddly occupied with championing other people. I say oddly because it is more natural for us to be concerned with championing ourselves. It is more natural for us to be concerned with championing ourselves, especially when we are going through times of adversity. And that's what Paul was going through. You know, you don't necessarily get it from the way that Paul writes autobiographically. You know, he's talking about his imprisonment, but he's not going into the details. You know, house imprisonment for two years in Rome, two years of house imprisonment, or really imprisonment in jail before that at Caesarea by the sea, that was not easy for the apostle. And certainly he could have spent a lot of time talking about how difficult the issues in his life were, but he didn't do that. Evidently, from what we read, he was thinking about other people, even in his adversity. And he wasn't just thinking about other people, but he was championing other people. And when I say championing, I mean this, he was advancing others before himself. He was advancing others before himself. He was interested in creating opportunities for other people instead of being an opportunist. He was consistently concerned with people's spiritual growth. Not only that, but Paul, who was an apostle, who was a very gifted individual, who had a lot of influence, didn't just use his influence or platform to promote himself. He used his influence, his platform, his power to um, support and to promote other people. I think that that's, that's such a huge deal and countercultural to us today. You know this is the case because we know as Bible students that while Paul was chained to uh, a Roman soldier, different Roman soldiers on rotation, but chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, uh, he was busy being inspired by the Spirit of God. He was busy bearing other people upon his heart. He was thinking about the spiritual condition of the people in the church at Colossae. He was, he was moved with love to write a letter to the church at Philippi that had been faithfully supporting him, the only church that consistently financially supported the Apostle Paul. He was concerned about the church at Ephesus as they were surrounded with such a godless culture and so steeped in idolatry. And Paul had the big picture in mind, make no mistake about it. Paul was a church planter. Paul was about mission. Paul was ad about advancing the kingdom of God from a big picture point of view. But in addition to uh, Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians, Paul also wrote Philemon. Paul also was bearing on his heart um, this runaway slave who was also a criminal. Paul was bearing on his heart this one single person. I think Paul understood that living God's mission meant championing his work in the lives of others from the perspective of many people, but also from the point of view of the, of the one singular indiv individual. Um, you know that that's your mission too? Did you know that that's your mission? Did you know it's not just Paul's mission? You're like, man, I love that about the Apostle Paul. 
always thinking about other people, always championing other people. Um, Well, it wasn't just Paul's mission. It's our mission as well. And we know it's our mission because it was Jesus's mission. This was what Jesus did when he came to this earth, when, when he was incarnate, when he lived a perfect life, when he was crucified on the cross and rose again on the third day. And as believers in Christ, we are called to follow his way. Today, are you with me this morning? Today, if you're taking notes, there are, there are three things that we see from the Apostle Paul's life that I, think, um, that I think will really instruct us in being people who champion others. And of course, the title of the message today is Be a Champion by Championing Others. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, Paul championed other people in his suffering. Paul championed other people in his suffering. Check out verse 10 with me. Get your eyes on the scriptures. The Bible says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And then Paul will go on to say, not only is he useful, formerly he was useless to you, verse 11, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Um, So look, Paul, and I talked about this last week, uh, Paul recognized, right? He saw his life through the framework of the sovereignty and providence of God. And so Paul knew that even uh, though he was in prison, that that didn't mean that the purposes of God were not being fulfilled in his life. And because he knew that even in his adversity and suffering, that God was still working, Paul, (coughs) Paul was looking, Paul was watching, Paul knew that God was going to faithfully bring divine appointments that he needed to be faithful to, and it changed the way that he saw individuals. While Paul was going through his own suffering, think about how he speaks of Philemon. He says, man, receive him because he's useful, like he matters. God's at work in this young guy's life. I've had the privilege of leading him to Christ And now Philemon, what I want to say to you is this, you need to have open arms, you need to have an open heart, you need to recognize that that, that he is not a a negative in your life, he is a positive, he is useful. Paul's not like, man, you know, I'm going through all this stuff, it's just nonsense, it's hard, and then this little punk comes along and, you know, I mean, as if I don't have enough to deal with. You know, Paul did not convey a sentiment of frustration concerning Philemon or concerning Onesimus even while he was in the midst of his own suffering. I love how Paul did not manipulate the circumstances to try to pull pity from Philemon. I want to encourage us today that when things are the hardest, notice, notice what Paul did. Paul leaned into being selfless. When things are the hardest in your life, do what Paul did and lean into being selfless. Paul was intentionally looking for opportunities for other people. Um, I kind of have this picture in my mind like his radar is up, right? He knows God is working in other people's lives and so he wants to be involved in what it is that God is doing. He wants to advance others. Sometimes when we struggle, sometimes when we feel like, well, like we're losing in the game of life, we think, hey, if I can't have it, I don't want anyone else to have it. And when that's our point of view, we won't be glad for other people when they get the promotion or when they get the applause or when they get the opportunity or when they get the encouragement because secretly we will be harboring bitterness and resentment. We'll see 
something good happened in someone else's life and because we've lost sight of the sovereignty and the providence of God because our disposition towards others isn't what it should be, instead of rejoicing when someone else gets the advancement, we think, God, why not me? God, why not me? Like, I, I, I could imagine the Apostle Paul saying, you, are you kidding me? Really, really? After all I've gone through, you know, after how many shipwrecks, after being beaten with rods while planting a church, after suffering snake bite, God, really? You're gonna give other people opportunity and you're gonna sequester me in this very difficult situation? But that wasn't the heart of the Apostle Paul and I pray to God it's not our heart either. Jesus followers champion others when it's easy, but we also champion others, especially when it's hard. And this is where the culture gives you a message that is, that, that is conventional. Uh, what Jesus tells us to do, what Paul instructs with his own life is counter-cultural because the culture says, hey, when you're going through hard times, look out for yourself. But remember, the world doesn't share our mission. The world says you're in competition with everybody. The world says, no, it's, it's really about you getting the advancement. It's about you having the better looks. It's about you having the more productive business. It's about you having the bigger social media following. It's about you having the more effective and productive ministry because you're in competition with everybody. That's what the world says. The Bible says this, man, just be faithful to God. Just trust the Lord. Man, I don't know what God has set before you. I know what God has set before me. The place of peace, the place of rest is when we're just focused on being faithful with what God has set before us. And, and as we're faithful with that, we can say to him, you know what, Jesus, you got this. This is in your hands. Whether you choose to advance or whether you choose not to advance, whether you choose to promote or whether you choose not to promote, I believe that because I'm being faithful to what you called me to, that you've got this. Can you say that today? Can you just say, you got this, Lord. You got this. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's in your life right now and what you might be struggling with and, and what you might be striving for, but the fact is this, God is in control. He sits on the throne. He is the God that goes before you. He's the God that parts the sea. He's the God that pours out the manna from heaven. He's the God that makes the bitter water sweet. He is the God that preserves you for 40 years walking in the wilderness so that your sandals won't wear out. And he's faithfully bringing you to the promised land that he has determined for your life. Like which means, you clap now, you cry later, because here it is. Which, which means, check this out, God will use your adversity to advance what he is doing in someone else's life. Oh wow. You're clapping for them. I love you. I love you for clapping because I'm like, oh man, that's like, that is bittersweet. God will use adversity in your life to advance what he is doing in someone else's life. So a little insight, you know, that I'm embarrassed to share with you today, but while I was preparing for this and thinking about this particular point, um, the song by Queen, We Are the Champions, started, so you know that song? Um, I'm not going to sing it for you today, but... But that song just kind of began to like play in my mind um, because I think that song really represents how the world sees life, how the world sees people. Like the world sees two categories. The world sees winners and losers. That's what the world sees. 
the world sees you in one of two categories. You're either, you're either a winner or you are a loser. And the winner obviously is the champion, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, if you're out in front, if you, your success exceeds the success of other people, then you are the champion. However, the Bible teaches us that God's champion is the one who, when it looks like they are losing, is helping other people to win. God's champion is the one who, when it looks like they're losing, is helping others to win. Your suffering doesn't hurt the mission, it enhances it when you champion other people. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said this, he said, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Watch this, just watch it. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So Paul, this is the way Paul viewed his life. He's like, hey man, on the one hand, we can be walking in a place where there's comfort, where there's provision, where everything is going, going really well. If that happens, it's for you. And Paul says, on the other hand, if we are living in affliction, in tribulation, in, in trial, in adversity, that also is for you. Everything that God allows in our life is for your advancement. And you know, that's the way it is for us because that's the way it was for Jesus. It was through his suffering that he championed you and me to God. By the way, if anyone is the champion, Jesus is the champion. The second thing today, if you're taking notes, is this. He championed others by making it personal. He championed others by making it personal. Verse 12 uh, and verse 17, I wanna read these to you today. The Bible says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, and then verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Um, I just, like you read this and you may think, well, that's not really a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal because Paul personalized, Paul personalized his relationship with Onesimus. Paul didn't say, hey, you know what, I've got this grubby little criminal runaway slave on my hands, and so, you know, I'm this apostle, this high holy apostle, I can't get my hands dirty with this guy. And so what I want to do is I want you to take him off of my hands, Philemon. That's not what Paul says. Paul uses terminology that should strike your heart. Paul's like, hey, I, while I was in prison, I led him to Christ, and, and I'm a father in the faith. Think about the relationship that, that God established between Paul and Onesimus. Not only that, but, but Paul says, as I send him to you, receive him as you would receive me. Because when I send him to you, I'm sending part of my heart. Onesimus wasn't a project, he wasn't an object, he wasn't a thing, he wasn't a stat on Paul's social media platform, he wasn't a subscriber on Paul's YouTube channel. And I say all of that to, to say, you know, maybe in a tongue-in-cheek way, you take that um, this morning, but the reality is this, we've reduced people to, stati to statistics. People are just numbers now. It's like, hey, your value to me, your value to me is how you increase the perception of my influence on my platform. 
Your value to me is that you're a subscriber. Your value to me is that you're a project that I can work on to give this impression to others that I'm, that I'm a spiritual person. And that is not the way that Paul viewed people. And I think there's such a, a tendency and a temptation today in the digital world that we live in as we become so much more untethered from each other there's such a temptation to have that affect our view on how we value one another. Paul closed the power gap. Paul closed the power gap. Like you guys know how it is. I'll just tell you from the, the point of view of a pastor, like you hear us as pastors say this all the time, there's no difference here. There's no difference between us. Like we may have the opportunity to stand on a platform um, and to minister the word of God to you, but we're people, we're sheep, just like you're a person and, and you're a sheep in the care of the good shepherd. We go through stuff just like you go through stuff. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We say these things all the time. But you know, sometimes there, there's this, there's just this perception, particularly in religious circles, that, that you know, when you become a pastor or a priest or something like that, that there's a gap or a distance between that person and everybody else. And if that is true today for, for a pastor, how much truer was it then for the Apostle Paul? Like, just think about Onesimus' point of view. It's like, oh my gosh, man, I'm here and, and I'm in the presence of the Apostle Paul, like the Apostle Paul. I'm sure he heard the story from Paul's mouth and from other people's mouths of what Jesus did on the road to Damascus and how he met Paul and this massive influence. And I'm just saying to you today, Paul did not leverage that. Paul did not leverage that to create some type of chasm between himself and Onesimus. He stepped over that perceived chasm. He pulled Onesimus close. He built and developed a relationship with him. He got involved in his life. I'm sure Paul could have said, dude, listen, I got so much drama in your life, I don't, I don't need one more person. Like, I don't need the baggage. I don't need your problems, I've got my own problems. But, but that's not the way that Paul worked. Paul knew that really ministering to people or championing others meant you had to get involved in their lives. Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do you believe that that's true today? Do you believe that that's true today? Hey, listen, you can't do that from a distance. You can't do that from a distance. To weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice means that your heart is in harmony with someone else's heart. That means that there's feelings. That means there, that there are emotions. You say, man, you can't base relationships all on feelings and emotions. I say back to you, you're right, but if you don't have feelings and emotions in relationships, then what kind of relationship is it? For the people that you love and that you care for, when they're going through it, right? When they're going through it, when, when, it's, when it's suffering that they're bearing, or when it's joy that's leading to their rejoicing, if you really do care for them and love them, how can your heart not get involved? Jesus' followers don't champion others from a distance. They make it personal. Making it personal makes it a matter of the heart. I read a, a book um, you know, maybe almost a year ago now, awesome book uh, by John Perkins called Beyond Charity. Beyond Charity, the title says it, you know, really. Um, but John Perkins in 
the 20th century was used powerfully by God um, to build urban community centers in the hardest hit areas um, in cities across America. And he, he became kind of uh, the individual that, like when you want to know how to build an urban community center like LV Reach, John Perkins is the guy that you go to. And one of the things that he was just adamant about was this, um, you can't champion others unless you do life with them. You can't champion others unless you do life with them. You have to be willing to go. You have to be willing to open your home. You have to be willing to build relationships. As busy as you are and as much drama as you have in your own life, you have to be willing to carve out, to make space in your life for other people. You have to be willing to listen. Not just while they're speaking, coming up with you know, the retort that you have or figuring out or planning something and not really paying attention but listening in a way where you're an active listener. And you do this as God leads, as God leads, right? I mean, you can't do this for everyone in the world, but you can do it for the people that God's brought in your life. And this is what Paul did. Paul, like, Paul saw this as something that God was in. Paul knew it was undeniable. Like Onesimus was brought to his doorstep This divine appointment was sitting right in front of his face. It was undeniable that God, you know what I mean when I say this, was pulling the strings behind the scene to make this happen. And what did Paul do? As he knew that God was being faithful to him, he faithfully lived out the purpose of God in his life. I love Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. It says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. And Solomon is just simply saying this, hey, don't forget that God's at work in your life, and God will bring people into your life. And in all the busyness of life, and with the advancement of social media and technology, don't close up your heart. As God pours out resources into your life, recognize that God has given to you so that you can generously give to other people. God has given to you so that you can generously give to other people because this is what Jesus did. This is what the incarnation is all about. He took on our drama by getting involved in the story on our behalf. Aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful? And you know, some of you got a lot of drama. Let me just say, God bless you. Thanks for being here today. It's really, it's good that, it's good that you're here. We all got drama. Like we all got trauma and you know what he didn't do is he didn't choose to just observe from a distance. That's not what the message of the Bible is. It it could have been, hey, you know what? God really cared, but he was really busy, didn't want to get involved, so he watched from a distance and just saw, you know, a bunch of people burn in hell. Like that's not, thank God that's not what the Bible says. Thank God the Bible says that God was compelled by love. He was compelled by love And, and that Love was manifested in the giving of his own son. This is what we celebrate at Advent. The word Advent simply means coming. It's the incarnation of Christ. There are two Advents. His first one, placed in the womb by the power of God's Holy Spirit, a virgin bears a baby, and we call his name Emmanuel. That is to say, God with us. God in the flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. You can't behold something that's not with you and present. 
Jesus came into this world. He was numbered with the transgressors. He lived, he related, he engaged with people. Aren't you thankful for that today? The third thing today, if you're taking notes, is this. He championed others at his own cost. Uh, Paul championed others at his own cost. The Bible says in verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all, or owes, which he had, or owes you anything, which he did, charge that to my account. The final thing that we see uh, exemplified in the life of the Apostle Paul when it comes to championing others is that he was willing to sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice. He's like, listen, Philemon, I know. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say it like this, but you know this is what, it's, it's like almost a rhetorical statement. I know he owes you. I know he owes you. I know he ripped you off. I know that he's a slave on the run. I know that at one time you viewed him as your property, but now that's shifted because as he's in Christ, he's not your property, he's your brother. And, and I, know that, I know that he owes you. And so what I'm willing to do is this, I'm willing to step in and cover it for him. You know, he, it, this is what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say to Onesimus, hey, listen, buddy, you know what? You've blown it, you need to fix your problem. You need to fix your problem. When I see a little effort, when I see a little work, when I see that you're earnest, really earnest about turning this around and getting it right, when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then I'll step in and help. Paul doesn't do that. Paul recognized that there was sincere repentance that led to faith in Christ, and so by grace, listen to me, by grace, Paul steps in and does for Onesimus what Onesimus did not deserve. Now, I'm not saying to you today, because I know some of us are thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, pastor, it can't be all grace because we don't want to enable people in a lifestyle of sin and support something in their life that God is not pleased with, and of course that's true. Of course, God does not want us just to be feeding resources to people so that they can continue to run away from him instead of towards him. But you know, a lot of times what we do is we set these standards up for others that God never set up for us. We, we have all these hoops that we want other people to jump through that God never called us to jump through. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I came to Christ when, when I had nothing. Like I dug a pit, I dug a hole for myself. The shovel was still in my hands. I was digging furiously, trying to get as far away from God as I possibly could. And then when I hit rock bottom and I couldn't, well, what seemed to me, I probably could have gone deeper, I could have died, but when I couldn't go any deeper, God spoke to me and God convicted me of my sin and I put down the shovel and I put my trust and faith in Christ and you know what God didn't do? He, he didn't say, well, you know what? Climb out of the pit, boy. You know, figure a way out, you're a smart guy. You know, I'm, I'm sure you can come up with something that will get you out of this pit. God did not do this. He reached into my muck and my mire through the incarnation of Christ. He reached into my muck and my mire, the filth of my life, and pulled me out, and he set my feet upon a rock, washed me, cleansed me, gave me a new story, and put a song of praise in my mouth. And that, that's grace. 
I'm just, I'm saying to you that, that that's grace, right? We need to be discerning, of course, but God help us. God help us to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. God help us to not create this infrastructure um, under the guise of wanting to make sure people have their stuff together when the reality is it's just insulating us from risk. It's just insulating us from cost. This is what Paul did. Paul's like, hey, I'm willing to cover the cost for him. Paul did not have a, a website that created a revenue stream. Paul did not have a merch table up every time after he preached the message of the gospel and said, hey, come and buy a sweatshirt, come and buy a hat. I'm not anti-merch, by the way. Um, but you know, he could have had a little AP, kind of like Tom Brady has his own hats. Paul could have had his own hat. He could have said, hey, come buy a hat. Um, Paul did not charge 10,000 Roman denarii for uh, a preaching engagement. Paul sewed skins together of animals to make tents. Paul's like, hey, this is what I'll do. You see these hands? You see these calloused hands? You see these hands that are, are withered and cracked and dry and bleeding? These hands will provide by grace for this person who doesn't deserve it. Jesus' followers, Jesus' followers reject the temptation to limit their cost and to reduce their exposure and to mitigate their risk instead of sacrificing for God's mission in the lives of others. Jesus' followers use their platform and their resources to empower other people. I'm gonna tell you guys something that you already know. Can I tell you something you already know today? Can I, is that all right? Okay, you know this, news feeds on your fear. You know that? Like the whole system uh, that the news is built on is it feeds on your fear. This is how the news keeps you engaged. And so this is why you're like, man, why aren't there ever any good stories? Because you won't come back for good stories. Like you come back for the crummy stuff. It's like addicting, you're drawn to it. And, and, and a lot of times it's just rooted in fear. Like there's this dependence that is created as the media cycle is all about inflation and recession and political turmoil and racial division and violence and wars. And you're like, wait a minute, that's all true. I know, I know those things are true, but even when those things are true, we don't live in fear. Even when those things are true, we don't live in fear. We can walk in faith knowing that even when there's adversity, God is the one who works the miracle. Yep. I was thinking about, I was just thinking about the, the situation where there were 5,000 men, wilderness setting, um, disciples recognized that the crowd that was following Jesus, probably upwards of 10,000 people or so, um, they were hungry, they were tired, they were weary, and so, you know, the disciples were like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm weary too. Lord, send these people away. Like, let them go get something to eat, and Jesus is like, well, you feed them, you feed them, and, and you know, the response was, how's that possible? Like even if we had all of this money, we would never be able to buy the hummus and the tahini and all of the pita that could feed this vast multitude. And so you know what they did, they, they just brought what they had. Actually, they ripped somebody else off and they brought what that other person had. <laughs> That's another story. But they brought, they brought the little that they had and this is what Jesus did. He broke it, he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and thanked God for it. And I'm just saying to you today, in your temptation, because we get to this point, championing others means sacrifice. 
It means that you are going to work with your own hands. It means that you are going to bleed and you are going to sweat and you are going to cry. And, and, and out of that, God is going to birth an opportunity to bless someone, oftentimes, who doesn't even deserve it. And what we do is we believe God for the miracle as we walk in obedience. What we do is we lift it. We lift the little that we have to heaven. And you know what he does. He multiplies it for his glory. What makes the church the church is that while everyone else turns inward, we turn upward and outward. We work with our hands to champion other people because that's what Jesus did. He worked with his own hands. His hands were the hands of God. His hands shaped stone and furniture. His hands prepared meals for his disciples. His hands mixed mud and spit and smeared it on the eyes of the blind. His hands raised loaves and fish before God in praise and for provision for others. His hands touched the leper that no one else would touch. His hands were placed on the sick and the diseased so that they might be healed. His hands gathered children to himself while his disciples argued and competed with one another. By his hand, he took a dead girl and raised her to life. By his hand, he grabbed Peter and raised him up when he was sinking and about to drown. With his hands, he washed the dirty feet of his disciples. And of course, you know, he stretched his hands out. He stretched those holy, perfect, strong hands out to be nailed to a cross so that through his nail-scarred hands, your debt could be paid, so that you could be lifted out of sin, so that you could be rescued from hell, so that you could be led to the Father, so that by his hands, he would supply power for your healing. The hands of Jesus champion you. This is why he died, and this is why he was buried, and this is why he rose again.